0: Hi, I'm David Kittredge, filmmaker in Los Angeles, and this is the Outcast presented by Outfest, where we have conversations with LGBT creators and allies to discuss their work, their inspirations, their passions, and the challenges of getting our authentic voices heard. And this is part three of our three-part series called Highlights from Outfest, where I talk with filmmakers who had their work featured at the 2021 Outfest Los Angeles Film Festival. The Outfest LA Film Festival is one of the largest film festivals in North America. And in 2021, there were over 170 LGBTQ films selected. Joining me to kick off this episode is Mike Dougherty, director of festival programming for Outfest. And the first movie on today's episode is Javier Fuentes-Leon's The Best Families. Now, I've known Javier for a number of years, um, but he's most famous for his first feature, which was Undertow, or Contra Corriente, which was a huge deal on the gay circuit and is a great movie. And if you haven't seen it, you have to go see it. It's amazing. But The Best Families, I actually argue, is a better movie. It is
1: really a great film. It's... Um it's it's such a wonderful ensemble piece that is like an upstairs downstairs look at Peruvian society, which I'm sure many people listening to this, if any, have no experience of what that even I like didn't, I didn't like, know. I no what idea. that even yeah what that even looks like and it's <laughs> it's one of those. You know, it's one of those, I, I I live for those kinds of stories, especially when the upstairs folk get what's coming to them or are or like, <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or so, like, you know, hilariously lampooned, like that's like what Luis Buñuel's entire career was. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 like, it's very Buñuel, yeah, it's very Almodovar, you know, yeah, because they're,
0: basically it's populated by women who run the entire ensemble. The, the, all the plot is basically propelled by women, and there are several women there that are. I think much more in the Al- Almodovar like histrionic, crazy like compartment.
1: Yeah, and it's just it's a wonderful like contained drama that goes to like hilarious places and dramatic places and queer places and it, it's 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 just a really a joy to watch.
0: It's it's wonderful. Yeah. And, and and to get and to it's like you, I kind of I want to talk about it and and you'll hear in the interview. I it just you just can't give anything away. Like there's basically the the main there's a huge twist that happens about. I would say, 30 or 40 minutes in, um, which I guess is not a twist. It's really just the plot. But to give it away would just be sacrilege. And it's Mm -hmm. just so wonderful to watch this movie and watch how it all just gets crazier and crazier and better and better as it goes on. It's amazing.
1: And just to say, that's the reason you go to film festivals. You get to watch these movies untouched by reviews or Twitter chatter or anything like that and really experience, like... Until I started getting to go to festivals, like it was so rare to have that experience where you're seeing a film completely removed from any reaction to it and just
0: experiencing it. It's alone. so lovely. I, yeah. I remember there are so many. I have so many stories about going to see a movie where I literally didn't even know the genre of the movie. Mm. Maybe I knew yeah. the director, or maybe I knew that like one of the people in it. But literally, you would go there and just okay what you got you know and yeah. and this is one of those lovely discoveries if you if you don't need to read about it don't read about it but it's so great the best families and then speaking of the reasons you go to a film festival one of my favorite movies at outfest and it and, and it was not an outfest premiere it premiered at sundance but outfest was one of the few places that that has like big festivals that has done it before it's going to get a theatrical next year is a movie called we're all going to the world's fair which is Almost impossible to define, and it's amazing. Tell us about we're all going to the World's Fair because it's—I just can't say enough about it, and I don't want to say too much.
1: What I love is like the—it's almost impossible to define. Mike, go ahead. Uh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's <laughs> like you I'm do probably, it. I don't want to do it.
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> I'm just like I have like because in the process of like you know telling folks about the festival, like I often am called upon to to you know give you what this movie is like movies are about and when i come to this movie i'm all like i'm gonna sound like an idiot trying to like keep up with what this movie is about But i mean essentially it is it is a well to preface this it played in our platinum section which to me is one of the most exciting sections in outfest I love it, it. Um, I yeah love the gears, platinum section
0: so yeah,
1: much it, it gears towards the experimental and avant-garde and the keeping queer weird uh of of the festival and um they're the kind of films that I think, like, are, are the most exciting queer content, like, from history to now. Like, it's... it's these are the filmmakers that, like, pushed the boundaries and, and got queer cinema on the map. Um, and they're continuing to, to really make exciting things. And this film is uh, directed by Jane Schoenbrunn. Um, and it's, you know, it's about uh, a young woman who is playing this secret dark internet role-playing game uh, in which they go to the World's Fair and somehow starts to see changes within herself um as affected by this game. And that's really all I can say about it, because yeah. it's like when you start to describe it, it just gets so out yeah. there and crazy. Like you're like the experiencing of the film is what makes it so intense and wonderful. Um but it suffice it to say is is a pretty magnificent piece of work. It's
0: also interesting that it's playing at Outfest, of course, because Outfest, you know, we we do LGBT movies. Um there is nothing really explicitly queer in this movie and in, in the sense that there is no actual like gay by lesbian queer content. But that said, this is an inordinately queer movie and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very kind of distinctly trans as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the director Jane, she was undergoing her own transition at the time to a non-binary, um, femme trans person. And that journey is kind of reflected in this film in kind of a weird nightmarish mirror. And so it's I'm really happy that Outfest chose to program this really really interesting movie. Um even though, you know, you can point to it and be like, "Well, who's gay in it?" or "Who's who's mm-hmm. who's a lesbian or who's whatever." And you can't actually answer that. There's not actually it's not actually there spoken to you, but it is Absolutely, one of the queerest films I've seen in a really long time.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a place that queer festivals are going to go to more and more because, you know, there's, I mean, still programming queer festivals, there's always this thought cloud in your head when you're first seeing a movie of like, if within the first 30 minutes there's not like a same sex kiss or like, the like, character <laughs> is it queer just, like, Yeah, like when are we, like, when are we, like they said on The Simpsons, when are we going to get to the fireworks factory or whatever? Like, like that's, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And like more and more, it's like, like with the novice, like she is not explicitly queer in the film until possibly an hour into the film. Um, right? and it's like, I think our audiences have come to trust us enough to know, like, if it's an outfest, there's a reason it's an outfest, but with yeah. something like this film, yeah, it is very much like in the subtext and in, in the reading of the film more so than it is explicitly stated or dr- dramatized in the film, which I think is a very interesting thing to do. And I think the platinum section is a perfect place to explore that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, that's a really exciting advancement, I think, in, in programming queer films.
0: Well, I think it's, it's it, isn't it just an inevitable evolution of, of how one looks at queer uh, content? In, in every way, like as gay people and, and bi people and lesbians and trans people and non-binary people, as we are kind of more mainstream, like, you know, you, you, we don't have to like hide anymore. We can like say, oh yes, mm-hmm. this is who I am, this is what I am, mm-hmm. um, you know, our stories are going to not be about that per se, as much as they are going to be about things around it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be more like a, just a fact of life, right?
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's like, and it's, this is not necessarily a new concept, it's more discussed now, but like, we're all going to the World's Fair of what we were just talking about, it it reminds me of how The Matrix is now kind of read as a trans film, knowing what we now know about Lily and Lana Wachowski and like what their intentions were behind some of the choices, Um that is that is often when you look up like, you know, trans folk who are saying some of the best trans films, The Matrix is often listed and like watching The Matrix, you'd be like, where's the trans stuff? But then you read these then you're like, oh, that's where the trans stuff was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: It's so funny when Jane and I spoke, um, and you'll hear this in the interview, uh, the Matrix was brought up a number of times by Jane as as something that influenced her a lot and we talk about how films you know films like The Exorcist, films like the Wolfman. I mean there's all sorts of trans stories out there that aren't specifically or explicitly trans but can be read as trans stories and mm-hmm. you know we're all going to the World's Fair, I would say is actually much more kind of on the nose and explicit than something like The Exorcist. Um, mm-hmm. but you can you can see there's there's a there's an absolute, queer sensibility that runs through the thing. Um, And in addition, it is one of the creepiest and most unexpected movies I've seen in a really long time. There there are no quote-unquote jump scares in here. Well, there kind of are. There kind of are jump scares in here. But it's Mm -hmm. like, there's stuff that knocked me backwards. Like, I did not expect some of the stuff in this movie. Like, I, I thought I was watching this one movie and then it just transitioned, so to speak, into the movie that it was going to become and it's just unexpected and really haunting indeed I love it
1: when you I love it when you say something so eloquent and I just be like yep
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway these are fantastic films mike and again I want to congratulate you and the entire outfest team for pulling off this year uh, under circumstances that were less than you know ideal here's hoping in 2022 It can just kind of, you know, be, if not back to where we were in 2019, then at least, you know, a lot closer.
1: Amen to that. Yeah, well, (laughs) 2022 is Outfest's 40th anniversary, so that is going to be special no matter what, and we're going to blow it out in whatever fashion. Uh, we can blow it out in July 2022.
0: I can't wait. And congratulations on a fantastic festival. I had a blast. Everyone I know who went had a blast. And these are some amazing films. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike, for being here. Javier, thank you so much for being here on The Outcast.
3: Thank you so much. For inviting me. It's
0: great to see you again. <laughs> it's, good, it's good to see you. We've, we've known each other for a few years, and I was very, very fortunate that, you know, sometimes when filmmakers um, have have movies, they will show it to a small group of people to get their take, like other filmmakers. And I was very fortunate to be invited to see an early cut of The Best Families, which, of course, was at Outfest this year. Um, how, like, just so, because I, it's been, like, a bit, between when I saw that and when I saw the final how much longer was that first cut?
3: You know what? I don't, I don't think it was that much longer. You know, um, there was, there was an opening scene that I had shot. That was a phone call in which that explained, I think it set up the movie. Right. Um, you know, I don't know if you needed it because like, honestly, like I watched it
0: again with Craig, like, uh, last night. And, I'm like, oh my God, this is like a different movie. This is, it flows so much better. It's such a great little movie. I just loved it. It was so much fun. How how was the Outfest screening?
3: It was great. I mean, I, it's been, I was really excited about the Outfest screening because I thought that this would be a movie that the Outfest audience would enjoy, you know, of course, with, you know, COVID and all that, it wasn't full. I, I was I was dreaming for it to be, you know, <laughs> a full a full house, but that's not possible, <laughs> you know. Uh, right, but right. it was great. I think it was one of the warmest experiences we've had, you know. So, well, it's a
0: very warm movie. I mean, basically, like, for, for you know, Javier, you, this is your third feature. Um, yeah. You know, your first feature, of course, was the now classic Undertow, or <laughs> I, I'm going to try to say this, but I, you can tell me if I'm... Contra Corriente no yes, is that wrong contra- is that a bad accent i have a bad accent i know i'm sorry <laughs>
3: <laughs> it has an accent but it's but it's fine it's contracorriente. yes <laughs> well basically undertow
0: is a now considered i think i can say a gay classic really it's like it's about um two lovers one dies and comes back as a ghost to do some yeah. unfinished business and it's lovely yeah. and wonderful and it played basically every festival on the planet uh, lgbt one certainly uh and it won a gajillion awards so that was a very auspicious coming onto the scene for you right
3: it was it was uh you know it, yeah i mean it was a great way to to feel like okay i can i can be in this world you know because i studied medicine i, I came from peru you know I, i'm 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 in peru right now you know uh,
0: <laughs> this the is lo- else, i think the this out- is the longest this is actually the longest distance in- interview that the outcast has done yet so this is this yeah you're oh, speaking great. to us <laughs> <laughs> Well, we had Lauren Hathaway, who was the director of The Novice, um, on uh, just the, the last Highlights episode. And uh, she was, she, you know, we were talking from Paris because she just relocated there. So it's just oh, well, like, nice. I feel like, I feel like we're just like sprouting out into the world now. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but you're there in pre-production for your next film. It's
3: actually a mini-series for Netflix. That oh my goodness. Yeah. That's
0: fantastic. That's so good. But getting back yeah. to Undertow, like the, the rapturous acclaim that your first feature had, that must've just been like, enta- like amazing. Like every filmmaker I know kind of wishes for that kind of a reception um, of, of a film that, they, you know, that you, because you'd been thinking of that for a very long time. That had been burgeoning for a very long time, correct?
3: Very long time. I, I mean, it was actually a, a one act play that I wrote when I was uh, studying at Cal Arts. You know, in, in LA and, and, and at that time, actually, it was uh, The love triangle was not gay It was a fisherman that was married And had a, an affair with the whore of the town With another woman, you know mm-hmm. But when I came out myself, which I came out late I said, this is stupid And I need to make it, you know Not only did it make it a better movie because it's more dramatic for a man to have an affair with another man in a small fishing village, but it made it way more personal, you know. And the the ghost became a symbol, a metaphor for being in the closet, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked in so many ways that I definitely wanted to go that way. But it took me like eight years to find the financing and, you know. So, yes, from the moment I had the idea of turning that one-act play into a feature and and a feature with a, with a gay love story in it, it took me, until I made it, it took me like 10 years, you know, or nine. Just it's It
0: just takes a while. And this, this is something that I tell, like, you know, up-and-coming filmmakers, and this is something that I tell people who don't, like, kind of know, haven't been down this road. It's like, you know... Um, I mean, I've been right now working on a project for I think over four years now, and it's going it's finally gonna come to a close in the next year. And uh like more than one like relative or cousin or what like just is just like, are you still working on that? I'm like, no, you <laughs> yeah. don't understand. This is <laughs> yes. entirely. And that's quick, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Um, especially for documentary. Uh, but your your next film after that was a really interesting kind of stylish. Uh, the departure from the vibe of uh, Undertow It was called The Vanished Elephant And um, yeah. it's a really It's a really fascinating little movie um, it, It's not I don't remember it being really gay though It wasn't really gay themed, correct? Or no, was the, not at all yeah, so, yeah. But but it was a noir and it was a mystery And it, and it kind of like uh, Subverted expectations Like you go in thinking it's one thing and then it becomes another Like how did that come about?
3: It's funny because, you know, uh, my films uh, live in different universes, you know, and different genres, you know, but I don't make a decision of, like, okay, now I want to go into, now I want to make a thriller. It just, I had this idea, you know, and it was very influenced by, you know, writers from Latin America, like Borges and Cortázar and Bolaño, you know, but it was also influenced by, uh, of course, film noir, and but not only the classic film noir, but also Mulholland Drive, and, Mm -hmm. you know, which is a great film noir you know yeah. um well I
0: did I mean you can see that the, the, the Mulholland Drive influences but also like Raymond Chandler and all yes all, totally. that, all that stuff yeah. I mean it's Dashiell mm-hmm. Hammett it's very it's yeah. a very interesting stylish little movie um and that was you know in 2014 and then you
3: were on a series uh you no know, did you create yes. the
0: series I forget
3: like or did you just no, no, direct no. it, it I was invited to be one of the writers and to be the lead director of the first season, but I wasn't the creator of the show. It was actually one of the partners of the Colombian company that co-produces my films. Okay. That they co produce Undertow, The Vanish Elephant, and The Best Family, like the three films. You know? So they invited me to be there. You know? So I ended up being very involved right. in it. Which is great, you know, sure. because I, usually when you do TV, you're a guest as a director, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, yeah. and here I was more than a guest. I was like, you know, one of the creative forces, but I wasn't the creator Let's but say. that's
0: interesting because, like, you, your first, your first shorts, your first two features, you, you know, you you wrote them. You know, you were very, very. It was very much your vision. This would have been your first kind of work for hire situation. Exactly. Um yeah. What was what was that like? Kind of like pivoting to kind of realizing someone else's vision and kind of participating in and adding to that vision.
3: It, I mean, I was very afraid at the beginning, you know, because I because yes, I always thought that what I wanted to do was create my own visions and then try to make them happen, you know. Uh, and, and even the even the topic of that TV series is about a guerrilla fighter from the FARC. It's got Wild, you know, wild uh, District, which is one is of the, the is, most, yeah. you know, one of the most violent uh, guerrillas in, in Latin America. Uh, he escapes it and is trying to fit in again into the, you know, normal city life. But of course, his past is always catching up with him and and it's something that I would have never told on my own but right. but it was really well the pilot was very well written and there were some scenes that I that really inspired my imagination you know and I was like okay let's see how this goes and it was actually I had a lot of fun I always thought that I that I did directing because it was one of the steps to you know tell a story from the beginning to end right but but doing that TV series I realized that I love directing you know uh, even if it's not my my if the seed doesn't come from me, you know? right, right, right. But you can,
0: but I could like get on Netflix and watch it here. Correct. It's called Wild District. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's called
3: Wild District. Yeah. And you can you can watch it in in, in Spanish with subtitles, or you can watch it that if you want. <laughs> you gotta love Netflix. They 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 do they do make it very easy to like you know if they
0: if they have content, it's just like oh it's here and it's here in this way and it's here in this way.
3: Exactly. Which yeah. brings
0: us to the best families, which is it's a little bit of everything, but the one, you know, filmmaker, I'm sure you, you're, you know, you've been asked about this and uh, his influence is all over. This is uh, Pedro Alamo, uh, Pedro Alamo. God, oh my God. It's, it's early. I'm sorry. It's Pedro Almodovar.
3: Almodovar, yes.
0: I mean, you can feel it. I mean, in, in the sense that it's, it's about a very large family that is, I would say that the narrative is primarily run by women. Yes. It's about two sisters uh, who have a a friendship slash rivalry who live next door to each other um, with a little kind of small house shed that kind of goes over both their properties. And they have a big yellow line down the middle to, to, to see who, yeah. <laughs> whose side is who's of that little house. And basically, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to give anything away because it's really lovely to watch this movie and watch it unfold. But one of their sons comes back with a new girlfriend. And the new girlfriend, unbeknownst to everyone except a couple of people, uh, has a very unexpected and special relationship in the family that... All of the truth comes out, and it, and it gets crazy. Um, tell me like, and, and it's just <laughs> such a lovely it, it, I have to say, like, see, having seen your other work, this has uh, an energy and a kind of narrative propulsion that, like you know, Undertow felt more meditative. Certainly, uh, the Vanished Elephant felt meditative. This doesn't feel meditative. This feels like the last like half of this movie is like a romp. It's just, it's, li- it's like, you know, uh, Almadovar. It's like, it's just craziness and then more craziness and then even more craziness. And it's fantastic. <laughs> how did this come about? Like, how did you like come up with this idea? Like, I can't even imagine how you like, because there are so many family members in this movie. Yeah. There's so many characters that I cannot even imagine the index cards that you must have laid out on a very large table to like figure out who was who <laughs> and like what everybody was going through. <laughs>
3: you know it's funny because uh this story i mean this film had a radical change six five months before i actually shot really so the movie so the movie that you saw i Mm -hmm. wrote actually five months before we were shooting and for like but for like 15 years because it it the, the spark was a conversation with a friend of mine in l.a who is peruvian who is also gay who our mothers know each other from when they were young, and we were having coffee, and we said, "Wouldn't it be funny?" And this this was around, I think, when Spain, when when the first countries, not the U.S., when the first European countries started to like uh, approve gay marriage, you okay. know. Um, and so we were laughing about, "Wouldn't it be funny if we just showed up in Lima and said that we are uh, that we got married?" You know, our mothers will go crazy, and out of that. <laughs> For the longest time, <laughs> you know, and out of that, for the longest time, this, the movie was about the guy that comes from Spain and, and the gay guy that is in Peru right. actually being a couple that married in Spain, but in the eyes of the family, they were just roommates. Right. And, and the whole secret that came out was about them actually being gay and a couple and it coming out. And the, and the mother's going crazy, and the grandmother telling them, if you want this to not become a huge thing, you need to pretend that you're cool with this, and therefore the mothers threw a wedding for the gay uh, guys.
0: Well, that's a very different movie, than the, because because I mean, that, that sounds like kind of a standard... I, I'm glad you changed it, because I, that, yes. that sounds like a very <laughs> standard issue kind of... 90s, early 2000s kind of, like, gay movie. Like, I've seen, like, totally. 15 movies like that from Outfest. Like, you know. so exactly. But what you yeah. do... But what you do, um, especially because there, there, there still are those two gay men, like you know, who, yeah. who used to have a thing. Um, and wait, are they technically cousins? I think they're technically cousins, no, right? No,
3: no, 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 no. Because they're, they're okay. actually not. The the, the the mothers are not sisters. They're best friends from when they were young.
0: But don't they have the same birthday?
3: No, it's close. The, the birthdays oh, are uh, okay. I are thought they were dates. twins.
0: I thought they were sisters, and we were trying to figure out, like, okay, but they're the cousins. But the co- okay, that's okay. The cousins are okay.
3: Yeah, but there's, there's incestuous, there's no, there's, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, if it goes into incestuous. Yes, I know we didn't yeah. <laughs> want <it>
0: to. <laughs> I'm sorry, I misinterpreted
3: that. But um, but okay. it's not—it's not very clear. And actually, <laughs> I, I, and to be really honest, the reason why it's not very clear is because I took out that first scene in which that is explained.
0: But I have to—but I have to tell you, like, I remember seeing that cut. And I remember liking it, but thinking it was lumpy. And I think I told you that I was just like, well, you know, I was with it and then my mind kind of went away and then I was with it and my mind kind of went away. Like when I watched it this time with this cut, this final cut, I was never, my mind was never wandering. Not once, not even a little bit. So like <laughs> that's, whatever, that's whatever you yeah. did, that was the way to go. Um, ab- Absolutely. It was just, it's just so wonderful and
3: fun and easy to watch and, Hilarious. I think it's because, Um, you know, the main comment that we got when you actually saw it was that it took a while to start. And therefore, the reason why why we took a while to start is because in that first scene that I cut out, there was a phone call that explained that this couple was coming. And so you were just waiting for the couple to arrive. But I take half an hour for the couple to arrive because I need to show you the world. And that's why people were like wondering, when are they arriving? Because when they arrive, the funny part is going to start. Right, right, right. By taking that promise away, then you're just trying to figure out who these people are and not expecting for the funny to start later. You're, you're <laughs> starting to see the funny already in the little, you know, building up, I guess. But this
0: is, but this is why editorial is so important. And, it, and it's interesting. Um you know, it, it's a process. It's like you cut it and then you show it and then you cut it and then you show yeah. it and you have to, it's like, it's like fine tuning a watch or something. Cause all of the little scenes and all of the gears have to kind of flow into each other and it all has to work. And so when you watch, when you show a movie and, and filmmakers know this, um, when you show a movie and sometimes if you have a section like you know an hour in where the audience is just like "Eh, I'm like losing my my focus or I'm not really understanding or whatever sometimes it's the fault of something that happened like 20 minutes before or 30 minutes before it's like it's not about that scene it's about other stuff and it takes it takes you know someone with experience like you to like understand like oh no we got to cut that thing in the beginning yeah
3: I mean actually uh, you know I mean it became a comment from a few people you know I mean in that in that in that screen that where, where you were present, it was clear that something was not starting the movie. It was delaying the you right. know the connection with the movie. It took me a little while to understand that it was the first scene, you know. Uh, but but yes, but I but finally, and I remember telling some people, uh, I'm going to cut it. And it was like, no, but it's funny. <laughs> yes, it's funny. But then but then it kind of damages the rest.
0: But getting back to the gay guys, basically in this film, these two gay guys they grew up together and famously kind of fooled around secretly when they were teenagers. And one of them is with his partner, who's very hot in a pink shirt. Um, yes, <laughs> I forget, we, we, were, we were talking about him again. It's just like he doesn't have a, a huge role, but it's like every scene he's in, he steals. He's very funny. Um, yeah. And then the other one brings home this new girlfriend, and he insists, like, yeah. no, I'm in love. I'm a gay man in love with this woman, but I'm still gay. Really, I'm still gay, but I love this <laughs> woman. This is about this woman. I mean, that's kind of it's kind of a tough uh, needle to thread uh, to make that yeah. kind of convincing. But but you do, I believe him in this film, and and. It, uh, that took a lot That took a lot of, in the performance, I think Yeah,
3: you know, but uh, I think we fight so hard, especially in places Where it's not easy to come out You know, to to come out that's, yeah. That somehow then we're locked Into, so now that I'm gay This is what I need to be, you know mm-hmm. And I think uh, What I was trying to say, and I'm not the only one saying it You know um, Sexuality is fluid, you know and, and, yes. and you can fall in love with a person You know, um, so I'm I, yeah and, and I also wanted you know I mean, when I made the change from what it used to be about the coming out of the gay guys and the families throwing a wedding right to what it is now, which is definitely more about upstairs downstairs and and in the previous version, the maids were a satellite to the story, yeah, they knew before the mothers that the gay guys were gay, but right that was that was pretty much their involvement, you know now they are in they're crucial to the to the secret.
0: I would I would even say it's the focus because like you know so yeah. much of your movie has to do with there's the family, you know, kind of doing what the family does with all their stupid secrets. But then there's the entire wait staff. And they yeah. have at least what like half the movie. I mean, really they're yeah. they're running the movie, really. It's like, yeah, you yeah. know, we see it kind of through their eyes for the most part and the the big secret which I don't want to give away but I I, I want to I want people to see this movie but I don't want to give away this secret because it's <laughs> yeah. so it's so good when you learn and you don't I mean you learn it what like a half hour in so it's not like the yeah. big twist at the end or anything but yeah. it's so good and it's so well done the way that you do it that it it would almost be criminal for me to give it away but it's 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 basically that like you're 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 making a comment i mean this movie is like completely inundated with comments about class it's it's yeah. it is very upstairs downstairs it's very kind of Gosford park it's very um downton abbey really it's it it has it has basically like you know uh, the wait staff dealing with their own stuff and, and, and kind of the, the, the poverty or borderline poverty that they live in. And then these very rich, like, you know, at times incredibly insufferable people <laughs> um, yeah. living their lives. And outside of all of this is, uh, is this gigantic protest. Um, that's happening, which was very kind of timely, like, you know, so there's, so there's all sorts of, you know, different kinds of forces at work. You know, there's the intra-family stuff. There's the, there's the upstairs, downstairs stuff. And then there's this, you know, riot happening like down the street, (laughs) which is, you know, getting closer and closer to the family house. It's astonishing that you wrote this five months before you shot it because it's so beautifully balanced. And really, that would be the 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 real key to this kind of a movie. It's just like you need a balance between all of these stories. Within those stories, you need balances between all of the different characters, and you have this encroaching drama or 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 doom right in it coming. It's just like you know, is it inevitable that like you know these upper class people are just going to be you know like Bunuel, like tossed out on the street or something horrible is yeah. going to happen to them. You know, it's, it's just, it's fascinating that you, that this was the direction you went. And I find it so much more uh, powerful than what you just described as the original concept.
3: Me too. And, and, and I'm glad, you know, I, I, I like the previous version, but I felt that it was what you just said. Maybe, I mean, it was it, it probably would have been still relevant for Peru, but it wasn't relevant. It was more of a 90s to early 2000s kind of like, you know, movie that, we, that we've seen many times. Right. This one feels more relevant, feels more, and it's more about prejudice. That's why I mm-hmm. wanted to, you know, and I wanted to give prejudice to everybody. Not only the typical ones are prejudiced, the ones right. that you would expect, the macho guy, you know. Actually, the gay couple are the ones that are ha- are having the hardest time accepting that the other gay guy is now dating a woman. <laughs>
0: yes, especially the mother. She has that. She has that whole thing where she's just like, he's just like, you know, won't you won't you accept us or won't you like meet her? And she says something like, you know, how should I know? You throw something new at me every time I, you know, you come home. <laughs> yeah. It's like you know, you were dating a
3: guys and now you're dating a woman. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so I wanted to, call, to talk about prejudice in all kinds, you know, and, and of course, mostly class and race, but there's also a little bit of prejudice against different kinds of expressions of sexuality. And in general, you know, it's prejudice from a, from a woman to another one that has decided to not have kids. There's that question, like, why didn't, why didn't you have kids? You yeah, know, like how come you guys decided not to have kids? Well, the same way that you guys decided to have kids, right? Yes, yeah. I remember that <laughs> scene. Know? That was a really good
0: scene. I have to say the ending is really warm-hearted though. Like like I was you know, I, I think a movie like this can go one of two ways. It can go like super like you know, boonwell class struggle. Everyone you know, is <laughs> ripped apart and thrown in the street yeah. or whatever, or it goes the other way. and you actually it's it's such a lovely, warm hearted, loving ending, um although the very end is just really funny, like the last shot the last shot in your movie is really hilarious. It reminded me a little bit of Eyes Wide Shut in a way uh, with the, like, you know, the, the, the big ending of Eyes Wide Shut, the last line of Eyes Wide Shut. It was, you know, it's, uh, it, it's you similar to <laughs> what you, what you pull off in the last shot of this movie, which is very <laughs> funny. Um, but it's so, it's so loving, you know, because you're so pointed in your, in your critiques of prejudice and class struggle and all this other stuff in the guise of this hilarious, like crazy comedy you're making these points, but the ending—you seem to have a lot of faith in these characters, like to to change and grow. Yes, I mean to a
3: point, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> like like the like the last scene would indicate. Yes, exactly, like that that that, that yeah, the last little <laughs> epilogue, the last, you know, because. I, I kind of wanted to show what it could be if we worked at our prejudice and we decide, you know, and we somehow overcame them, you know. Right. And so there's there's that warm-hearted communion, you know. Um, let's not say much more than that. No, I, I don't want know. to say more
0: than that. It's very tough so if, to talk about this movie because, like, it's just it's <laughs> there are a few movies that I see that really genuinely surprise. And not just once. Like, your movie surprises at least two or three times in this movie. Like, there are things that you could give away that I don't want to give away that would absolutely make people want to see it more. But it's like, I I just feel like it would be heresy. It's like, I can't, you can't talk about it. Like, because it's so, it's so lovely the way that, you know, it's kind of like a mystery, actually, now that I'm talking about it. It's kind of like, you know, now that I'm seeing more of a, more of a through line from The Vanished Elephant into this, because, you know, it's, you know the the title is the best families, you know. But it's I, I guess the the uh, the extension to that is like it also have it also happens in the best family.
3: Yeah, and and that is an expression. I don't. It seems like it's also worse in English, but that's yes. a very common expression in Spanish. You know, like you know, even in the best families. You know, so that's where <laughs> it comes from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yes, but I wanted it to be a mystery. I mean, and it's funny because I, I revealed the secret very early on, but but then Let's the question is how yeah. Yeah. How is this going to happen? How is this going to like come out, you know? How is this going to affect people, you know? Is is um, it going to come
0: out and how and what will happen and the scene where it does. And that's not a spoiler really like, because yeah. you know, you know something's going to happen and when it does, oh my god. So there's a, okay, and I can say this there's a dinner scene and it's a very important, long, lengthy scene. And if you talk to anybody who's ever directed anything or is a script supervisor on anything, shooting a bunch of people sitting around a table at <laughs> yes. dinner is a nightmare. It's, it's a, a nightmare, nightmare because like you have to keep everybody's eyeline in check. So when you're in around a table with like, how many people were at that table? Like 20 different characters you had at that table. And they're all talking. Yeah. And they're all jumping in there. And it's like, and I was watching this and I'm just like, oh my God, like, did you, how, did you storyboard that? Like, how much did you plan that? Because like, you never, and and this is a testament to how good a director you are. You never don't know where you are. You never don't know who's talking and you never don't know why. You are always exactly, you you know where you are, you know who's talking, you know why they're talking and and you capture it so beautifully. Um, Like, but but that kind of stuff, it seems easy. It sounds like when you're watching it, you might not even pay attention to it. But that must have taken a lot to
3: plan. Oh my god, it was. <laughs> this is, you know, it's funny because this has been the easiest movie to produce because it takes, in, you know, it takes place in two locations basically, right? And a lot There are a lot of rooms on those two locations. There's a lot of rooms, but what I mean in terms of like, fi- once we found the locations, like, you know, uh, we were shooting in, in, in mostly in one house. I mean, between two houses that were not that far away from each other. We were shooting only daylight because it all takes place in, in, during the lunch. So there's only one scene at night. So right. it was, in terms of production, it wasn't difficult. In, this is the most difficult movie that I've directed, you know, uh, because of, every, of, of what you just said. Because What's well, the highest I degree of difficulty? With, yeah. Like when I was writing I was like, to do, do, do." I'll just you know, I'll just have a scene with twenty fucking characters, you know, like uh, <laughs> sitting on a table, it's gonna be great. And then I wanted to shoot myself when I was directing it, you know. But not because I mean the actors were the actors were great, you know, thankfully. They were great and, and Oh you got amazing I, performances I would say, all around. I would say by 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 half half a day into it, they pretty much were by the end of the first day, but, I mean, because we shot that, that scene in three days. you know, but, but, Wow. By, but by the end of the first day, maybe le- a little sooner than that, it was already a play. Like, they already kind of knew it. I mean, sometimes somebody will forget, but they were running it. So basically, we had two cameras, and we were just covering so there was no really storyboarding before because i would have gone crazy you know it was more about the big decision is how do i sit them you know how do i sit and it's because it's 15 people sitting if i don't remember and and six standing around them. that sounds
0: right yeah it's 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 a like it's one of these things that like yeah again it sounds really easy to do it sounds very straightforward but it is so so hard to execute well and execute yeah. in a way that, like, you're in the story and you're not distracted by whatever. Because it's it's yeah. an eminently distractable kind of situation. And, and also, it's the scene that is, like, the linchpin for the rest of the movie. It's, like, the scene where everything kind of blows up and takes off. And then the rest of the movie is this crazy, like romp where everyone's trying to like figure out <laughs> yeah. the, w- what's going on and their own like emotional catharsis you know they every yeah. everybody everybody in this movie all like 20 characters i think <laughs> like have arcs or mini arcs and that's amazing that is like a feat
3: <laughs> thank you yeah i mean i um I think, you know, it's funny because I think that I had lived with those characters for so long and writing and rewriting and thinking about them in this previous version that when I decided to change the story, I mean, the character of the girl that comes from Spain was never a character before. You know, a few a few things that I think really elevate the movie came came about with this new version, you know. But what I was trying to say is that I think I knew them really well by now that I was able to change the story and and find them a, a, an arc because I knew the characters better you know um and the little arcs of the, uh, I mean the arcs of the of the characters are not as crucial to the secret right they were the same before i mean the, the problems if 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 it was infidelity it was in some of them actually bully no, to be really honest, no. I mean, a lot of them change. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> now that I think about it, but um, but this
0: is this is instructive because, like, you know, basically, people. Um, I I think that sometimes people are too inflexible about the ideas that they have. Like, they have this idea, and like, okay, we're gonna do it. Okay, we're gonna do it. What you had was a situation where you had this idea. Um, you realize for whatever reason that it's like, no, this is not the movie I want to make. This is not the movie that we should do. It's this other movie that's kind of different and better and, and, and and it kind of a different story, but you embrace that, you embrace that change. And I think that it's that kind of flexibility that kind of separates the, the, you know, the really good directors from the ones that kind of like, you know, hang on and just make whatever they thought of first. It's,
3: it's, 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 it's tough. It's tough to pivot that way. It is. It is. But but there was something really inside telling me this is an okay movie, but but this is not something that I'm yearning to tell anymore. Right. You know. You'd grown out. I had a, of it. Because yeah, I grew out. Yeah, exactly. Because that idea showed up. I mean, th- that first conversation with my friend that started everything happened even before I made Undertow. So, wow. and even though Undertow is in a whole different world, the universe, genre, whatever, it, it talks about being gay and or being different sexually, you know, uh, um, and coming out. You know, so I felt like I had said... It is. ...a lot about coming out. And, I, and even though it's a different world, blah, 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 I was kind of repeating myself a little. That was one of the main issues that I had with the previous version. The other one was that... My first two movies and the projects that I want to work on that are mine, I mean, that come from me, they all have, they all use somehow magic or or the surreal or the not real to talk yes. about very real issues. Yes, that's true. I felt like in this, in this, when I changed to the version that, that you saw, to the movie that it is now, uh, I feel like the little house is symbolic. You know, I mean, the before one in the middle. it was... It was very pedestrian. Now it has some, the movie has more symbolism. Even the the protest and how the protest starts to affect our characters, you know, uh, and I'm I'm not going to say more. It becomes, I mean, yes, it is part of of comedy and in comedy things are heightened. But but in this new version, I feel like the little house and the protest and all that adds a little bit of other i don't it's not otherworldly but symbolism metaphor you right, know and right. and i feel like before i didn't i didn't have it so that was something else that, that i think join you know connects my films the other one is you know i mean because people tell me your films are nothing alike and i was like yeah but in all of them there is somebody saying this is really me what you thought about me, it's not what I what I am. Or what you thought it was true, it's not really true. There's some there's a there's a confession, there's a secret, there's something revealed. You know, which is funny because it's not on purpose, but
0: well, it's, clearly it's, I
3: have you
0: know <laughs> <laughs> Well it's, it's about it's about revealing the self. It's about intimacy, it's about being yeah. vulnerable, and it's about being authentic. And those are very powerful yeah. know, and, and very kind of, you know, uh foundational queer, uh, themes.
3: Yeah. Totally. So it's, Even even if it's not a queer, uh, plot, you know, or yeah. So best families. So
0: it's, it's already playing around the world. It played at Outfest, of course. Um, yeah. Where's it going next? And have you kind of, uh, selected a distributor yet? Because I'm absolutely sure you're probably getting a ton of offers
3: well let's put it this way we do have uh streaming platforms that have already uh acquired okay good good we have streaming platform distribution in in all of the americas you know in in the u.s and canada is one and in latin america is another one but they're both great and and the one in the u.s will be around the middle of the next year middle of next year oh it's so good I'm trying. I really want to find a way to have like a little bit of a theatrical distribution, but it's super hard right now. Right, and it probably will be pinpointed to a few cities in the U.S. Right, we'll see. I'm hoping that it can happen.
0: So, is is there a chance this will be? uh, Undertow was Peru's submission for the Academy Awards. Like every country had, every year, every country submits one film to be uh, potentially nominated as Best Foreign Language Film at the Academy Awards. Is there a chance that Best Families will be the same as Undertow? I,
3: we're hoping, yes. I mean, we, you know, we're submitting it to the, I mean, each country has a, an entity that is recognized by the Academy Awards as the entity that presents the film. Right. So... Right now, we are presenting our, you know, the Peruvian filmmakers who have had a film. And, 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 and you know, because of the pandemic, it's changed. And now virtual sure. distribution is actually accepted. So, so I don't know how many films are, I'm going to be competing against, you know, uh, from Peru that have had distribution right. within the year. Because it's also, they've also extended it. It used to be that by September 30th, that was the cutoff mm-hmm. deadline, you know. And if you release your film in November, it will go for the next right year. It's all that's all crazy. Gen- th- this
0: last two years, it's all it's everything all, it's is all up crazy. in the air. I mean, the yeah. Academy rules themselves, even for movies that that play here, have been up in the air the last two years simply because of the pandemic. So uh, exactly, you, you never know. But I really hope that it, it gets up there because I want people to see this movie because it's 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 like it's a refreshing and you know romp and it's really about something and let's talk about your cast just for a moment because okay. those performances are are so good let's talk about jelly yeah <laughs> yeah which She's which so i good. think you meant right i did i met her at outfest opening night she is lovely yeah. but her but that is a crucial role she has to be like exactly right and she was i mean that's that is not an easy role to play
3: no, because, yeah, the, her reactions are, are crucial, you know. Um, it's funny, I had seen Jelly um, do theater, you know, and I had seen her in, in not, not in a lead role, but in supporting roles in a couple of films... And I knew that she was great at drama and great at comedy. I mean, if you meet her, mm-hmm. she's really funny. You she know? was? Uh, she's incredibly
0: funny. And you should say her last name because I don't want to try.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. Jelly Reategi. See? <laughs> <laughs> See? I would, be, I would be canceled in two seconds if I tried. Um, <laughs> no, it's Jelly Reategi. And actually, she's just moved to LA. So, you know. And her English is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Her English was perfect
0: when I met her. She was, I think she's great. And Tatiana. Astengo um, as Luz, Luzmila, the Maid, which is she is unbelievably good. But she, she is
3: a wonderful actress, and she's been in my three films. She plays the wife in yep. Undertow. Yep. And she plays the, like a district attorney in, you know, she has a smaller role in, in The Vanished Elephant. I, don't, but, I uh, didn't
0: remember her in The Vanished Elephant. I remembered her in Undertow. I didn't remember her in yeah. The Vanished Elephant. That's amazing um yeah i hope you i hope you cast her in whatever's next because i think she's just so she's fantastic. great
3: she she also has a small role in that colombian series uh, tv oh, really? series that we did for netflix yeah because she she just like she was trying to see how it would be to like live in bogota when i was just shooting and so and because the producers of that tv series produ- could produce co-produce undertow they they loved her so it was easy to convince so she has a small role in that too so She's she's had a role in everything I've made, you know. So wait,
0: but, but you're in Peru right now, and you're in pre-production. Am, yeah. And when do you go into yeah. production? And is Tatiana in the next production?
3: Actually, in this one, she isn't. <gasps> um, no, you have to write her. A, you
0: have to write her a role. She's so good. got keep it going? I know.
3: It's just that she's she's in Spain right now. I mean, I think she got vaccinated, and she was like, "I need to go and travel," uh, so she's in Spain for a while. Um, but. Um, and, and yeah, and, and, and this TV, this is a miniseries, um, yeah, that's not a role for her, really, so... Okay, well, what's, what's the title,
0: like, or the working title, so we can, we can take a look at when it comes out? Do you know, I
3: don't know if I can say, because Netflix oh, okay. can be really... Um, and this was,
0: this was, I believe, a true story, correct?
3: It is based on a true story, and it, and it happened right before Peru was trying to qualify for the World Cup. The last one, which, you know, is a huge thing in, in Latin America, to you know, and Peru hadn't been able to qualify for years, mm-hmm. for decades. Mm-hmm. And right when we were about to qualify, the captain of the... Of the team which is the the main character you know tested tested positive for cocaine and he swears that he's he never really had it so it's it's, it's about him trying to clean his name and be able to It's exciting. Like what, so yeah. you're going to be shooting uh soon actually with, like
0: within in a what a month or two right? Yes, October 4th. Oh my summer. goodness. That's so, so that's so soon. So and when when yeah. uh is it scheduled to premiere like next summer?
3: I'm assuming. I mean I think it's it's a decision for Netflix, you know, um so I don't know exactly when. There's a World Cup coming up next year, you know, so I'm assuming... it would be a good tie-in. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming they'll try to take advantage of that, but I don't know.
0: Well, Javier, you're an inspiration. Um, oh, come on. Thank you. No, it's true <laughs> because, like, you know, basically, you know, you're a real... Filmmaker who's kind of been in the trenches, who's who's done the whole thing with with you know development over ten years, fifteen years, and you know now and and for the last couple of years, I would say like you know your the fruits of your labor are kind of being you know validated, and uh, you're working on a bunch of crazy stuff, which is amazing, and you keep making great movies, which is fantastic. I want to see more. Me too. I want to make more. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Javier, I really appreciate being on the Outcast. Thank you so much.
3: Oh, thank you, David. Really, and, and
0: best of luck, best of luck in the production because like I can't wait to see this story. Thank you so much,
3: and thank you for inviting me. It's wonderful to talk to you. Honestly, <laughs> it's great to talk to somebody that actually loves film and understands what how hard it is to make it. <laughs> oh, I, pre- I, I this is this is why I love doing this. Honestly, yeah, because they're also good filmmakers. So you know, so you know, where, oh. you know.
0: Thank you. You I'll, know what it is.
3: I'll. I'll uh, <laughs>
0: I'll go. I'll get, like once. Once this documentary comes out, I'll probably go on other people's podcasts and do the same and be like, "Well, it took a long time." Exactly. <laughs>
3: yeah. We'll anyway, switch roles. Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> Coming up after the break, I talk with Jane Schoenbrunn about her surreal, thought-provoking, and unsettling film. We're all going to the World's Fair. Do you want to know more about OutFest? Of course you do. You're listening to this podcast. OutFest is the only LGBTQIA, arts, media, and entertainment nonprofit organization in the world whose programs empower artists, communities, and filmmakers alike to transform the world through their stories while also supporting the entire life cycle of their career from outset to legacy. And what that means is it is one of the largest LGBT film festivals in the world and one of the largest film festivals in North America America. Also, Outfest has a tremendous number of programs for young filmmakers as well as archivists preserving gay stories for all time. It is a truly outstanding organization and especially right now we would love your help. Please go to outfest.org and learn how you can become a member of this fantastic organization. Jane Schoenbrunn, thank you so much for coming to the Outcast.
2: I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, David.
0: I loved your film, We're All Going to the World's Fair, and it's a really interesting movie because um, as you I mean, Outfest, as you know, does LGBT movies. There is nothing explicitly LGBT about this movie, except it is so queer, and it is such a, a beautiful, and, and maybe I'm reading into this trans story. Um and it really really got me it's it's very unconventional. It premiered at Sundance correct that's right uh in the next section, which is like the the kind of undergroundy kind of lower budget but but audacious uh section that they have for really really cool kind of up and coming movies tell me let's just go into it like where did we're all going to the World's Fair come from, and how did it come about?
2: um well, I appreciate you talking about it as a queer film i remember when we finally started sharing it with people um you know after production and post-production in a pandemic when we we started sending it to folks and and getting reactions um it was such like an affirming and and joyous thing for um for for other queer folks to recognize the queerness that's sort of built into the film but not drawn attention to in 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 sort of obvious ways um I remember just like the, the the first queer folks to see it t- talking about how much they related to it personally, and um, that's sort of like making me blush in a in a very sweet way. Um, so that is much appreciated. It's Very true. Um, I mean,
0: I I resonated. You know, where
2: where the film came from is a big loaded question um, because it came from lots of different places. Um, it's a movie about uh, a real subcommunity on the internet that's pretty popular, but sort of was most popular about six or seven years ago, if not a decade ago. Called the Creepy community, um, right? And that word Creepy Pasta is derived from co- copy paste, which became copy pasta, which became Creepy Pasta, and it's essentially a word for uh, people telling collaborative scary stories over the internet, um, but telling them as urban
0: legends or, 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 or as I always wanted to know where that came from. Yeah.
2: Uh, (laughs) copy paste, you know, you, you copy it, you share it, you paste it. And then, uh, copy pasta became the term for, you know, like those old chain emails you used to get from your grandpa that were copy and pasted from email to email. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and, and, and then, um, when it got spooky, Spooky stories that get shared around it it became creepy pasta um, that's the uh etymology of, of, of that word um, which you know I, I was never <laughs> a part of, of those communities online it's, its I was a little too old for it as it sort of reached its apex, but I was really fascinated by um this community of uh, of, of people who I view as like amateur artists uh, collaborating in these role-playing experiments online that's, like, it's a little more intimate than fan fiction because, like a good campfire story, the stories are often first-person, and and usually, like, the the, the people telling them or making videos or drawing pictures treat themselves as characters in the story. Um, And I really related to this idea of... um, sort of inventing yourself through the internet. Um, uh, that, that was sort of, for me, the creative spark that um, that, that led to what, what eventually became We're All Going to the World's Fair.
0: It's fascinating the way this film is structured. And I wanted to ask you if it had kind of a conventional script because, I mean, basically, it's almost all about, uh, nearly the whole movie is about your main character, Casey, um, who in the very first scene basically announces that She is going to be participating in this kind of meme sort of thing, uh, creepypasta thing of watching a video called the world's fair and all sorts of creepy things are supposed to happen once you watch it and you you prick yourself, you prick your finger and, and blah, 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 and whatever, and you watch it. And then things start to happen, or at least we think things start to happen and we're not sure. And I think that the playing with the quasi unreliable narrator Uh, throughout this was, A, A, one of the reasons I love this movie, and B, like, really gets under your skin. You do a lot with very, very little in this movie, and a a performance, a central performance that is unbelievably great. Um, So go back, tell me how the script kind of got structured. Did you just write it out like a standard script? Or, I mean, I can only imagine that this was kind of like this, you know, cascading, you know, index card kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's just, it's an amazing kind of thing to watch.
2: Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I, I love writing, I, and I really do think of myself as like a, a structuralist I, or a post-structuralist. I don't know, I really love structure, um, and, I, and I, <laughs> I, I can be quite obsessive about it, and, I, and, 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 you know, what you're reacting to with the movie feeling perhaps, like, pretty natural is... We, we did do a lot of improv on set, but only improv within the sort of confines of the structure of the film, which were quite painstakingly um, right arranged. And, you know, I think it's also me and Anna, hopefully. Anna Cobb, who plays Casey, who I agree is absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Um, it, it's a testament to her doing her job in that um, we were able to take something that was, like, so practiced and so... Um, beat it out, you know, like even just every nonverbal beat that we see the character portray in the film is something that we had rehearsed exhaustively. Um, it's a real testament to her that it feels so natural and off the cuff. Um, well,
0: I think it's a real testament to your, your direction and you, because basically you allowed, you gave your actor, your central actor, the space to really get under the skin of the audience. I mean, this is, you know, I, I think I read a blurb that this is a horror movie, and I, it, I guess it's a horror movie. It's it's almost undefinable, but it is one of the creepiest movies I've seen in a very long time, and one of the reasons is because your direction and your allowing Anna to be so organic and take time in these long shots where stuff just happens and you don't expect it. Like, there, there are some... There are some st- jump scares in your movie, which I did not expect at all. Like, you're watching this movie and it's like, oh my God, what the hell was that? And and that's, I mean, you're talking about yourself as a structuralist. I love structure in films too, um, but, you know, you really play with audience expectations as a, and pace in a way that's really interesting.
2: Yeah, and p- for me, all of that is, is part of, like, the structure. And, uh, uh, you know, structure for me doesn't just mean narrative. It means... Tone everything you're trying to have a conversation about with an audience, um, and hopefully, the film expresses a lot of intent in the way that it's paced and the way that it plays with audience expectations. You know, I'm a big believer in this idea that, that the most important relationship in a film like this one. You know, as much as there are characters in the film who have relationships, it's the film is having a relationship with the person watching it and um, mm-hmm. hopefully a surprising and complicated one um, if, if I'm doing my job right.
0: I, I, those are my favorite kind of movies right now. Like you'll look actually if like we, we pulled out and you looked around my uh, my office here, you'd see a poster of Lost Highway like right to my left and um, a bunch of other movies that, that play with narrative construction and uh, audience expectation. And it's so, it's so refreshing to see a movie that plays with audience expectation and narrative construction, um, especially on what I'm imagining is a very low budget. I mean, you know, tell me if you can, like, when you started this project and, like, how long it took you to kind of, like, see it through?
2: It's such a hard thing uh, as, you know, like a filmmaker who makes things um, in a sort of ever-evolving way to sort of trace the project back to its origins. I would... I would put it at 2014 um, mm-hmm. when I read about this true crime case that has since sort of become quite notorious. Um, Was The these,
0: Slenderman thing?
2: Yeah, the Slenderman stabbing case, which I won't recount in detail, but these two young girls who both had um, a, a pretty severe form of schizophrenia um, read about this online boogeyman and ended up trying to sacrifice their, their friend to this boogeyman online. Um, I read about this case and and it, and and through it discovered this creepypasta community of of amateur storytellers online. and just became really fascinated, not so much in like the sort of uh, unsavory, gruesome true crime case itself, but all of the implications and the sort of metaphor of the internet as a space through which role playing and identity can um, can be mitigated um, through through uh, through storytelling. Um, and from there. You know, I ended up making an archival documentary ab- about the Slenderman true crime case called A Self-Induced Hallucination that in many ways was almost a, a mood reel, um, if you will, for th- for this film. Um, and uh, but, but uh, you know, I, I sort of like evolved my thinking about what was fascinating to me about that case and about this community uh pr- until I had a story um that felt really personal and and that um that that felt more in line with something that I'd like to tell rather than like a, a more uh straightforward true crime adaptation.
0: Well, let's talk about how you felt this was personal because I think this goes back to the 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 queer trans allegory thing. I mean, did this because you you have transitioned, you are non-binary and this this transition was at least in part taking place while this film was being made, correct? Uh,
2: yeah, that's correct. I I started my physical transition um, after we had wrapped production on the film, but certainly before the film came out. Um, yeah.
0: Well, did this film? I mean, I guess the the obvious question is: Did this film? How did this film kind of reflect what you were going through? I mean, if you if you watch the film, I feel like it's more straightforward. But I'm kind of leading you into this. <laughs> it's like you know, talk to me about I guess about how Casey. Um, and what she goes through in the film reflected your experience, or at least your fears of your experience. So
2: much of the film is about a young person online um, experimenting with identity and experimenting with um, who they can be. Uh, we learn right. pretty, pretty early in the film that the character is coming from a home and a social situation, um, although we don't learn a lot about where they're from. We certainly get the sense that this is a person who is not allowed to experiment with their identity in transgressive and deep ways um, right. in their real life. Um, and, and so I think like a lot of young queer people, myself included, you go looking for that online in this space um, where, where in, in a very freeing way, if, if you're um, sort of feeling tethered to a, a sexual or gender identity, uh, that, that's, that, that, that's being forced on you in your daylight hours online, you can sort of, you know, where you're decoupled from uh, your actual appearance in some cases, your name, the the way that, like, you've learned that others are perceiving you, um, the, the, the character, and, you know, I think for a lot of young queer people online finds, I think, a lot of, a, a lot of potential in the space of the internet to push at right. boundaries and try to discover themselves. Um, and certainly this is something that I was... Doing as a teenager, um, you know and that, as I started thinking about as an artist, uh, gaining the confidence and overcoming uh, you know like a lot of shame and repression uh, that that I had sort of been living with from 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 a very young age um, it really became for me a, a very similar journey of like making a film that felt like really unfiltered and really true to a queer identity that I myself was like coming to terms with as I started work on the project. But beyond that, I think that as I was coming to terms with the fact that I was trans and that I likely needed to transition for my own you know, just to save my life, honestly, Um, to live in the world as the person that I wanted to be for the first time ever, or at least since childhood. Um, As you stop avoiding these things as a a trans person, you start feeling uh, dysphoria uh, uh, in a a much more present way in your life, right? Instead of sort Mm -hmm. of like pushing it down and trying to avoid it, you're looking at it head on. And, um, and, you know, and, and so... Those feelings and this feeling that you know, I think all trans people or most trans people know quite well um, that 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 can be very hard to describe to cis people, um, but that is quite a horrific and and nightmarish and existential emotional uh, muzzle over over your life. Um, I, th- I I I was sort of reflecting on and trying to express this feeling as I was trying to start you know, the process of, of moving past it and confronting it. Um, but the way that I went about expressing this in the film, and honestly, when I started working on the film, I did not know I was trans and did not have the language that I'm speaking of now to talk about this. Um, uh, what I, what, what I eventually realized is what I was doing wasn't so much telling a story about a character who's trans femme or trans mask, who's, going through what will be the first stage of a transition. I don't think the film is so interested in a um, overt trans narrative, but what the film is interested in is trying to, not only through the character and through the way the character is expressing themselves, but through the filmmaking itself, through the structure of the film, through the um, pacing, tone, ideas buried within the film mm-hmm. express this feeling that I didn't have a name for and that I think is a very hard to articulate feeling, at least in language or the language that we currently have as a culture. Um, and obviously, as we moved closer to production and and I moved towards kind of like first coming out to myself, and then coming out to the world, then transitioning um, to the place where I'm at now, which is about... Uh, mm-hmm a year and change into my physical transitioning and, and starting to finally really shed those feelings of dysphoria, um, although they'd never go away completely, um, it, uh, you know, like the, the making of the film definitely mirrored this, um, this coming out process, but also this process of trying to put words and language to really difficult things, which I think is what the character is trying to do as well.
0: And I think that's the power of the film because as a cisgendered man... I'm watching, I, I don't have the, the the personal experience with what you're describing of this kind of, this dysphoria. Um, I know what it is to come out as a gay man, but I don't know what your journey is. But I, after having seen your film, I mean, I, can't, I I can't say that I know, but it's like I was given a peek into an experience that I simply had no experience of. And I think that's one of the reasons why I reacted so strongly to your film, which was basically, this is this is why we have art. You know, this, this, exactly what you're talking about is why we have, it's one of the greatest things about cinema as an art form. Like you can enter these worlds and experience things and emotions from people that you would not in any other kind of way be able to experience these points of view and emotions. And... It's very very powerful. I mean, your movie, like, and I don't want to, I don't want anyone thinking that like this movie is somehow medicine or something. This is this is a lean, mean, creepy little like thriller, really. I mean, it's it's a mystery, it's a horror, it's a thriller, it's it's a lot of things. But what Anna Cobb as Casey shows in 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 the film, um, it's quietly devastating. A few of these moments, and I don't want to give any of them away because the best moments in your movie, Jane, are the ones that I did not expect, and there were more than a few. Um, I love going to a movie and not, you know, you know, being surprised. And your movie surprised me consistently.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, it, it. What you're just what you're describing, I really appreciate. Um, I also definitely don't mean to make it sound like. The tra- uh, trans experience, because every trans experience is different. I don't mean to make it sound like my trans experience, uh, and this sort of feeling, this very hard to describe, uh, especially to cis folks, feeling of dysphoria, is something that is like mine alone that we could never hope for somebody else to be able to grasp. Maybe, right. maybe not feel. Um, you know that that that, that's, that that might not be possible. But I do think that like we can evolve a language where it's more un- understood and. Uh, that was definitely a major part of, you know, first unconsciously and then very consciously what I was trying to get across through the film, um, you know, and and there are, yeah, you know, I, I always think of and talk about a film like The Matrix, which which uh, you know many years later now, now that um, b- both filmmakers have come out as trans has sort of right. been reassessed and and, and the Wachowski sisters have have owned it as a trans allegory uh in a way um mm-hmm. but th- you know mm-hmm. this this was a film as a, as a young person that that really spoke to me um you know it's its themes of um a feeling of life as a simulation and this desire to sort of escape from an identity that um that 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 isn't your own somehow or that isn't quite uh your own you know they, they were reading a lot of um Jean Baudrillard while they made the movie and I was obsessed with Jean Baudrillard <laughs> right
0: ar- right around Right. That makes sense. Right, right around, sense. Uh, you know, right around the
2: time I was, I was coming out. So I do think there is, you know, and it's something that the character in my film is really struggling with as well, this feeling that they're not real. Um, this is like one manifestation of, uh, of, of dysphoria that I think, um, you know, we, we can all relate to that, whether or not we, we felt exactly that feeling, right. It's sort of like an existential thing that goes beyond the feeling of not being in the right Gender or body, um,
0: right, right. It's it's it goes beyond that. It's not even about just the body and the gender. It's about like a whole identity, right?
2: For sure, it, you know, and it, it's a very complicated thing. But um I, I guess my point is that growing up, I never really thought of The Matrix as a trans film. I thought of it as a film that I loved and thought was cool and interesting, and that expressed something that felt right on to me about myself. Um, But then, you know, you contrast that with Boys Don't Cry or Silence of the Lambs or, you know, more more recently, um, you know, these other films uh, made by cis people with a real cis gaze um, starring cis people playing trans people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and these are films that I don't relate to. Um, mm-hmm. And these are films, though, that we think of as trans narratives.
0: Um, well, but you could go back to The Exorcist, which was made by a, a very cisgendered man, uh, <laughs> hyper butch who, like, shot, you know, blanks with guns totally. on the set to, like, keep people in stress. But The Exorcist has been read as a trans narrative. Um, there, there are tons of movies that, uh, even The Wolfman and, and stuff like that have been read as kind of Trans oh, for sure. And, and um,
2: trans, trans people, trans critics, especially, um, especially younger trans critics, have done a lot of writing about horror and and body horror. Um, and yeah. um, you know, the Cronenberg. Sorts, uh, Cronenberg is a huge one for most trans people, uh, I think. Um, and this sort of like uh, one thing that I really relate to um, is, is like liminal space as a very uh, potentially trans um, aesthetic, and and film really lends itself to it. This sort of um, uh, idea of like dreams uh in film is something that you know from well mm. before I had sort of come out as trans was was fascinated by in my work um, i i guess like my my point is that um a lot of the energy of making a film and being out in front of a film that isn't explicitly trans in a classical way, but that I think is really fucking trans by proxy of who's making it and the perspective that they're reflecting on by making it, is about reclaiming what a trans narrative is and could be, mm-hmm. um, and you know this is really like to finally have premiered the film and seen a response from trans critics and just trans people on on social media and on Letterboxed. Relating to the film incredibly deeply and talking about feeling like the film is capturing this like wisp of smoke that they've never really been able to articulate, um, mm-hmm. that they see something of themselves in, is, um, is very moving and, and, you know, like very affirming for me as a, as a you know, trans person still pretty early in, in their transition.
0: Yeah, I can't can't imagine how validating that must feel. But I will say, though, having seen the film, even if I didn't know who made it or your story at all, I still would have regarded it as kind of a trans narrative or a trans metaphor a trans film. Uh, because it just, it's imbued. I mean, it's really just very present in the film.
2: For sure. And, um, you know, the, 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 so much of, I think, the queerness of the film comes across in the loneliness of this character stuck in this small place, which I think is... Um, oh,
0: absolutely. Something, yeah.
2: you know, most, most unfortunately, queer and, and trans people who grew up around when I grew up um, can relate to um, this sort of, like... Very complicated cocktail of shame and anger and, um, desire uh, and, and boredom all sort of, like, combining, uh, <laughs> um, you know, this the, is, this, the, the this, this this ennui. is, yeah, this is very much the essence of, um, of Casey in the film and, um, you know, something that obviously I was pulling from my own sort of, like, queer youth experience to, to express, um, and, uh, you know, it's it's also um, about somebody who finds horror beautiful and, you know, is sort of, like, clearly inspired by whether it be, you know, like, goth or punk or uh, even, like, juggalo culture, right? Like, expression, right. expressions of the grotesque as beautiful is clearly something this character is interested in. You know, Anna and I talked a lot about this on set, the idea of, like how somebody could find beauty in horror and I think it has so much to do with not finding what you're looking for as a young person in daylight you know or in like the small town sort of uh picture of American life that 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 perhaps straight people have an easier time sort of buying into and and falling in love with at a young age.
0: Well, I think it's just because that that's the, if you pardon the expression, that's the matrix that's been set up that they do fall into effortlessly. So they don't feel the need to question the reality of this. I mean, I think that's one of the blessings that any LGBT person has. It's like we are put in this place where we are forced to, because of who we are, We're forced to question all of these, like, quote-unquote, like, baseline realities that everyone all around us takes for granted. And it's just like, no, wait a second. That's not how life works because I know what I am and I don't fit into this. So that's the cognitive dissonance we all need to work through as gay people or as as LGBT people uh, is that, you know, we don't fit into this matrix. Therefore, we're not wrong. Maybe this maybe this setup is wrong. Maybe everything that they're telling us about what you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to want and all that stuff is completely, you know, wrong. Um and I think the healthy ones of us come through that the other side and, and you know, and then, you know, there are many people who don't, and that's a tragedy.
2: That's right. Um, yeah, I think that's all very much at the heart of what the film is exploring. It's also um a film that was really made during the sort of um trauma of uh, seeing yourself um, for the first time very clearly, and 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 then the trauma of of starting to come out, um, which obviously as a trans person in twenty nineteen uh, is is a is a difficult thing. Um, sure, but y- it's also hopefully about expressing a, a, a view of of beauty or or a view of like what you know, like a a perspective world that that I'm reaching for or that the character is, you know, without even really knowing it, reaching for that, although it's, again, cut with this, like, toxic mix of shame and anger, um, is still present and relatable to folks. Um, You know, a lot of trans folks have talked about the film as um, making them almost feel like pride in a trans experience because I do think there can be catharsis in seeing, like, not suffering, but desire even even desire that's like pretty latent um mm-hmm. at, at this age for this character um to, to see that on on screen I think can be a very moving thing um and you know like uh, one thing that I'm quite excited about in my filmmaking from here is um creating a body of work over you know like a linear time that 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 sort of like parallels a journey of of coming out and uh, you know and, and transitioning and living in in the world in in a more peaceful state. Um, I think that there can be something like really healing for folks about seeing a film like We're All Going to the World's Fair, you know, and knock on wood as the first in a a sort of series of, of films that while not plot related, can hopefully track a transition through an artistic lens that we haven't really seen so far in the world.
0: You have a history with kind of cult, subversive, underground films, though. Before your transition, you were one of the co-creators of a series called The Eye Slicer, which I thought was really cool. Um, can we talk a little bit about The Eye Slicer? Because I, I know you have you're, you're you're doing more movies now, and and we might not see another season of this for a while. But I thought that the the what you did was just amazing.
2: For sure. Thank you. That's really nice. Um... Yeah, it was a project and a real labor of love um, between myself and my um, my co-creator, Vanessa McDonald, who is a great filmmaker and producer in her own right. Um, the origin of The slicer was actually a, a project that I put together called Collective Unconscious. Um, again, just talking about dreams. Uh, this was a project where I invited filmmakers to adapt each other's dreams into short films, and then we combined those into a... Um, uh, omnibus of, uh, of dream films, essentially, um, a very like experimental Lynchian sort of, uh, project. Um, and one of the main takeaways from that project, which was really joyous, and, and I got to work with some phenomenal filmmakers like Josephine Decker, um, and Lauren Wolkstein and Nuo Tama Badomo, um, Dan Carbone and Lily Baldwin, um, there was something so lovely about working together as a unit of weirdos trying to make weird art um, rather than everyone sort of like going it al- alone um, with their weird short film. Um, right. And this was sort of the founding principle of the Eye Slicer, which um, what the Eye Slicer was, uh, is, um, was for now, uh, was a, um, uh, we called it a punk rock DIY touring TV show. Um, <laughs> we would, we, we, We would essentially make mixtapes. And some of the stuff on the mixtapes were original things that we were making. Some were things that we were commissioning artists to make. Some were just a great, great short films that we had seen out in the world at film festivals that we thought fit a vibe. Um, And the mixtapes would be themed around very like sort of intangible ideas maybe there would be an episode all about the internet or an episode all about bodies or an episode all about gender sexuality right. global warming whatever it might be um you'd see a lot of different experimental work um that uh that, that was sort of uh reflecting on, on these themes and and speaking to something larger than the sum of uh you know the, than than the individual parts um And we would tour it around, you know, we would throw parties in different cities and uh, drive across the country like, uh, you know, like we were in a band. And uh, (laughs) it was sort of this, it was sort of this effort to create a real space for regional DIY art making um, in a country where very quickly as an artist, you need to start worrying as a film artist, especially because of how high budgets need to be, even for a really cheap film like mine, uh, you... You have to start worrying really early about commercial concerns. And we wanted to create a space for a sort of next generation of young people who wanted to do transgressive, bold things to have room to do that and, and, and to have a community of others that they could grow and thrive with. Um, it's it's work that I think is really important and that I've, I have had to sort of take a step back from as I've you know, started to be comfortable in my own skin and started making my own art as an artist. But I do hope to return to, if not the eye slicer, this idea of, um, of, 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 of creating a space for really bold experimentation.
0: I would love to see more of that because I think that that's, that's the kind of stuff I live for. I just think it's,
2: well, thank you. You know, I wish, I wish that there were more people (laughs) like you, David, who were (laughs) living for weird,
0: low budget art. Listen, I will tub thumb for weird low, but weird, low budget art like till my dying day because honestly like you know you can only have so many damn marvel movies um I, clear, you know, and- clearly
2: clearly not clearly you uh, <laughs> clearly there's no such well, thing
0: well you know it's like it's funny i mean by the way, did you see Rodney Asher's documentary Glitch in the Matrix?
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed Rodney's
0: film. I kept thinking about Rodney's movie Glitch in the Matrix. I think that's on Hulu, um, and everyone should go see that because I I loved it. It's a great movie. Um, but it would be an interesting double feature with We're All Going to the World's Fair. I just kept thinking of it when I was watching your movie.
2: Yeah, it um, it premiered at Sundance this year as well, and and uh, I didn't know Rodney uh, going into the festival, but we we became sort of. Uh, email and and text buddies uh d- during the festival um
0: and rodney's the best he's great
2: yeah really really smart filmmaker and I, i've liked his work for a long time i you know all the way back to room 237 um, room
0: 237 is so good and the nightmare is really good too i mean there he's just he's just a fantastic filmmaker but he kind of embraces i mean he's a cisgendered straight man um, and yet, you know, it's funny watching your film and your take on a very similar. Th- it's a very similar theme. It's about the internet and how it relates to reality, like how we determine reality through the medium of the internet, um, For and, sure. and, yeah. and 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 how it relates to ourselves and how we view ourselves. And it's it's just it's a fascinating. It's just a fascinating movie, and I I am beyond thrilled that your movie got picked up by HBO Max. Which is unbelievable and so fantastic um, that that so many people are going to be able to see it. Do you know what what are the plans for the movie? Is it going to get a theatrical before or is yeah? It, is well, it, we're uh,
2: um, we're working with Utopia Pictures, um, a great distribution company um, that most recently put out Shiva Baby, um, which mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. which did quite great. well and um, great movie yeah, which yeah. is which is a blast. Um, and yeah, so we'll be doing a, a proper theatrical release. I, I believe it'll be in April of next year um, oh, with so um, with them, and uh, we're already starting to book cities. And you know, it, it'll it'll be a proper release, and it'll be on VOD then as well. But then HBO Max uh, for for streaming w- will happen a couple months later. Um, and yeah, it's really nice that it'll it'll. It's a sleeper hit, I think. Uh, if if I could be so bold as to call it a hit, but um.
0: <laughs> I just can't imagine seeing this in a movie theater, like especially at night. Because I hope you I was, get
2: I hope you get the chance I, to.
0: I I am absolutely going to go because it, it is it is one of those movie experiences. Because I saw it on a link, you know. Because I you know we, we're still in Corona hell. Um, hopefully, we'll be out of it. Uh, at least for the the most part um by by next year by next spring um but i I just can't imagine watching this movie with with a bunch of people in the audience just kind of like soaking it in because it's really an experience and you feel like you've been through something and there are these lovely asides we didn't even talk about plastic girl <laughs> or any of these other weird like like bizarre things you're in this movie and you're watching and then something happens and you're just like wait what was that? Did I just see that? Did I dream that? Like what, what was that? And, and you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing. Like the inspirations that come through in this film and, 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 uh, and the moments that are, thank you.
2: Yeah. That's, I
0: mean, they're burned into my brain. I cannot wait to get everyone I know to go see this because I just thought it was like, you know, just unexpected and fantastic. And, You know, you talk about low-budget filmmaking. I mean, I don't know what the budget was. It could not have been much. But you did an enormous amount with what you had.
2: Well, and that was one of the main uh, ideas from the beginning. You know, I I had been around this sort of, like, independent film scene for long enough to see what was possible um, creatively within a commercial system. And one of the earliest decisions I made was, like, I need to write something that I can make for not very much because the kinds of things I want to make, I don't think anyone's going to write me the big check for, at least not yet. Um,
0: That's very smart. That's very, very smart.
2: That would be my advice to young artists is um, to not reach too high too early, but to make sure you are cultivating a language that is fully your own um, in, in your early works so that you have sort of a not a calling card, but, a you know, like a North star of who you are as an artist to, con- you know, and can, to continue evolving that hopefully at bigger budget levels from there.
0: Um, right, right, right stuff you can get done and make it fantastic and, and just kind of work your way toward those and specific, more expensive projects. You
2: know, don't, um, yeah. don't, don't act out of fear of what you think people want, but, make the thing that y- you want to exist.
0: And that's, uh, by the way, that's so hard to resist because you're always in that position when you're doing smaller projects, lower budget projects, like, Oh, will this play? And I think the only real advice that I like, one of the only pieces of real advice that I've ever given to like uh, first time filmmakers or, or up and coming filmmakers is just like, you just have to be authentic. You have to make like the one thing you have to be, even if you don't think it will quote unquote play like, get it done, shoot it, like show it to a bunch of people as a rough cut. And like, you know, then if it doesn't play, you you deal. But it's like, generally speaking, if it's really authentic, if it's from your experience and your heart, it will play. It might not even play in the way you think it will, but it's going to play.
2: Well, and, and also um, generally speaking, and there are obviously exceptions to this, but when people try to make a low budget film without famous actors in it, that's trying to do the same sorts of things that bigger films are doing it's usually just going to play as the worst version of of uh of what people can accomplish (laughs) with a lot more money so yes you know time time to time to zag you know time time to time to (laughs) own the fact that you have to do something a little different
0: Jane, I absolutely want to talk to you about, like, dream movies and liminal space. I want to talk about, like, Exorcist 2 and Brainstorm and Dreamscape and, like, Lost Highway. I I could talk to you for hours, but I know I know we have to cut it uh, reasonably short and uh, bring it back to we're all going to the World's Fair. But I am so thrilled it's going to get a theatrical. I am so thrilled that people are going to see it. I know that the reviews are probably going to be ecstatic. I know the reviews out of Sundance were ecstatic. Um, so I just, I cannot give you any more good vibes and more congratulations for this piece. And I cannot wait to see what you do next with like, you know, a little bit bigger budget, uh, as you want. Um, because I, I, you know, it's so rare that you just sit down and see a movie and you're just consistently, you know, your expect expectations are consistently undermined, you know, I really did not know where this movie was going, and in the last 15 minutes, my my jaw was open. You know, I was like, "Oh wow," I did not expect it to go here, um, and it and it's a very haunting, lovely, very personal movie. Um, and I just want so many people to see it. It's so great.
2: Thank you so much, David. You're so sweet. And I really appreciate all of the kind words. I also can't wait for you to see what I do next. And, uh, and I uh, thank you for bringing some folks to go see the movie when it comes out in theaters. Uh, you know, Hopefully uh, folks continue watching it and relating to it. And yeah, try to see it on a big screen if you can, even though it's a movie about the internet. I. Love when people get to watch it in a dark room with a giant screen.
0: Jane Schoenbrunn, thank you so much for being here on The Outcast. I love your movie, and and best of luck, and and I cannot wait to see what you do next.
2: Thank you, David. Thanks for having me.
0: And that's a wrap on Season 2 of The Outcast. The Outcast is hosted, produced, and edited by me, David Kittridge. The executive producers are Alan Konigsberg, Ismail El-Sharif, and David Kittridge. My sincerest thanks to Daniel Crook, Carrie Stoughton Jackson, Damian Navarro, and the entire OutFest team. Music by West One Music Group. Every episode of The Outcast has been mixed by Craig Lauren Smith. Thank you so much, Craig. And for more information about OutFest, the film festival, the programs, and all the ways that you can help support LGBT voices, go to OutFest.org. A big, big heartfelt thank you to Alan Koningsberg. without whom this podcast would literally not exist. Thank you so much, Alan, for your support and friendship. You're the best. The Outcast is a production of Milton Ventures Media and Triple Fire Productions. I'm David Kittredge. Thank you so, so much for listening and have a great fall.